We just started our series through um, our series beginning in the chapter on love, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to go through it verse by verse, almost word for word. Uh, this may take us a few months to do, uh, but we're going to slow down and receive what the Lord has for us. Coming out of a season of emotional and spiritual health, this is really a, a, some of those principles being played out in relationships. So we're going to look again at what the scriptures have to say about what true love is. Um, and I'm just going to start from the very beginning. And let's this time read all the way through verse 13 so that we can kind of get the, 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 the flavor and the tone of this incredible passage that Paul lays out for the church in Corinth and for the church in Santa Barbara. This is a wonderful, profound, powerful, difficult extravagant description of what the love of God is like. So let's just start uh, in verse one. I'll go ahead and start reading. You can follow with me and we'll read the entire chapter. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned even, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. For I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is God's word. Heavenly Father, we want that. We want it in all of its richness and wealth, and we understand even just by reading it, by being confronted with it, that we don't. We believe that you are love as you claim to be and as you uh, prove yourself to be. And so, Lord, we, we come to you. We pursue love, not even knowing maybe completely what that even entails or means, but we know this is important and we know this is you. And so we, we just ask for the fullness of God in our church. And when we ask for that, Lord, when we ask for your fullness, we know that it's not just a, an ethereal, arbitrary request, but ultimately we're asking for the love of God to be poured ab abroad into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so, God, would you just give us more love? Would you give us a taste of heavenly things? And would you make us like this, even when it seems impossible? We look to you, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who goes before us and does the impossible. May we be able to sit at your feet right now and learn from Jesus Christ. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love is so important. It is so important that not only did last week we saw in the first three verses that Paul said, literally nothing else in your life can hold water if it does not come from a place of love. Skills, communication, uh, abilities, spiritual gifts, you could have all of that stuff in spades, but if you have no love, you literally have nothing, you are nothing, you gain nothing. Love is so important that for the next few verses from now and uh, for the next few weeks that we're going to be spending, uh, Paul personifies love, speaks of it as though it's a person, refers to it as though it has personal qualities, then goes on for the next few verses to describe its personal characteristics, the first of which are patience and kindness. This is where we begin to see. We, we spoke last week about how important it was. Now we begin to see how difficult and how wonderful love actually is. We put flesh around it. We see what it actually looks like in relationships, in the good and in the bad and in the ugly. It is wonderful in the sense that if you could just use your imagination going through this list. If everybody looked like that, the world would be a better place. If our families looked like that, we'd have, we'd have wonderful family lives. If we looked like that, the sphere of our influence would change dramatically. Love is wonderful, but love is also difficult. Who wakes up on a Sunday morning saying, I'm gonna roll out of bed very early and make my way over to the theater on the other side of town to become more patient that's what I want today. I'm lacking in so many things. I want patience. Who wakes up and goes to church and says, I am going to learn how to uh, not get what I want? That's what patience is. Nobody. Perhaps we view words like patience with a little bit of a, a roll of the eye, saying, I know this is a good thing because it's in the Bible. Um, but perhaps roll our eyes when we've heard spiritual platitudes like patience is a virtue. Ever heard that one? Makes me want to say patience is a virtue, but time is of the essence. Hurry it up. We scoff, roll our eyes. This is one of those words, one of those phrases that I myself believe because God in his word says that it's good. I believe that it's somehow good, but I have a hard time wrapping my mind and heart around why I should do it. In the short run, it never seems to work out good for me. But Paul says, as he is led by the Holy Spirit, speaking from God, that love itself is the most important thing that you and I could, could take into this world and leave this world with. Literally nothing else compares. And patience isn't love, but love, a facet of love, a characteristic of love, is patience. And so he, he dives into these characteristics, treating love almost like a, a living, breathing person. And he goes on to describe a few of its attributes to give us a little flesh around what love is and what it looks like. The first one, uh, patience, literally means long-suffering or to suffer a long time. It can also mean being slow to anger and slow to punish somebody else. 
The King James Version puts it in one of the most uh, rich and profound ways. It says, uh, it says, suffereth long, or literally, able to suffer somebody else's actions or offenses a long time. That's what patience is. You're able to suffer a long time. Specifically, people's stuff and their drama and their garbage. The word here for patience is much stronger than what I usually think of when I think of patience, which is like a split second I'm going to tolerate and hold back and restrain myself from just getting crazy, but you know, who knows in like five minutes. And usually is only that powerful when, it, when it's dealing with people's small irritations. This is not the word we're looking at right here, that Paul, Paul's idea of patience is much stronger than just putting up with tiny insignificant irritations. It's speaking of the most egregious of difficulties, huge offenses, the dark side of people in our lives. Patience, if you want to put flesh on it, refers to the ability of love to suffer the offenses and injuries of other people for a long time. Patience. No wonder I hate it. Now, most of us might be able to tolerate people's offenses to a certain point. That's why we say, as the saying goes, I'm running out of patience, right? Any of us can be patient until we reach our threshold. That's a natural thing. But love never runs out. Love doesn't have patience. Love is patient. It is by its very nature patient. If you were to describe someone as six feet tall, they never go to sleep at night with the fear or worry that they'll wake up five foot four. I sometimes go to sleep hoping I'll wake up six feet, but that never happens either. That is who I am. Five foot eight and three quarters, man. (laughs) Certain things, characteristics, and uh, specifically attributes never uh, are hard to change. Sometimes they're impossible to change. Patience is an attribute and characteristic of love. It doesn't change. Love never runs out. And when we're speaking about how love treats people, it is the ability to suffer offenses and injuries for a long time without retaliation. Retaliation is the opposite of patience. It's when I can't stand what somebody is doing to me and instead of putting it in God's hands, I put it in mine and I'm gonna be more vindictive. I'm gonna take this into my hands. I'm gonna treat that person as they deserve. I'm gonna get them back. I'm gonna be punitive all those other things. Patience is the opposite. Now, Paul doesn't just say love is patient. He finishes his sentence by saying love is patient and kind. I love the interplay between these two words. I think I love it. It's making, making my life harder to live, but I love what, what Paul is saying right now. There's a relationship between patience and kindness. Now, this is interesting because you and I might say, I often say this. Well, I don't say it verbally, but in my mind I say this. I'm patient, but I'm not kind. That should be enough to get me through the door of, you know, the hall of love's fame. Uh, or to, to give it a, a little more of a tangible example, I, I'm, I can tolerate people. When people cross me, I can tolerate them. I don't lash out at them in anger. Some people do that, not loving. I don't do that. I suck it up. I bite my bottom lip. I take it because I'm so loving. I'm dying to myself right now. 
And then I will leave that situation and curse them under my breath. Or maybe I don't curse anybody because I'm so holy, right? Instead of cursing them, I avoid them. I mask my lack of love with a veneer of spirituality. I'm going to avoid conflict with this person. I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm just going to completely avoid any uh, interaction with them. I'm being patient. But Paul doesn't say love is just patient. He says love is patient and kind. Meaning you could tolerate somebody and, and give them a cold shoulder or vent to others and justify why you're doing it. Well, other people are meaner than I am. I'm at least half as loving as they, I'm, I'm at least half as loving as I should be, more loving than some people. I'm at least holding my, my, my aggression in, but that's just passive aggression. You're not loving, you're passive aggressive. Paul says love is patient and kind. Love is, if you want to think of it in this way, uh, every analogy falls apart when you're speaking about something so cosmic as love, but bear with me. Love might be thought of as a diamond. A diamond has many different facets. Those facets are not themselves love, but they are part of the whole of what love is. One of those facets is patience. You're holding up that diamond of God's love and you're turning it around and it gleams at you, the patience of God. But you turn it around and the sunlight hits another facet and there you see kindness. You know why this is so important? Think of it in this way. Patience is the passive non-retaliation of love. Kindness, however, is the active goodness of love. You could be just patient, you could be passive and non-retaliatory, but you might still be avoiding that person or cursing them under their breath. What kindness is, is the active goodness on that very person's behalf. You're not just withholding vengeance and grudges and anger, you're actually actively seeking to bless them. Love. Kindness is the reaction of love to an offense. Here's the picture that it looks like Paul is kind of concocting for us. Love, love not only suffers through the difficulties of others, but it also reacts with undeserved kindness and blessing towards that person. Love gives people the opposite of what they sometimes deserve. People deserve our wrath, and we should be honest with that. People do wrong things. It's not okay to wrong other people. And they actually do deserve what's coming to them, just as I do, when I wrong you. That's where love supersedes human expectations. It doesn't just withhold judgment. It actually lavishes goodness and kindness on people who deserve judgment instead. It's almost like, uh, think of my childhood, going to carnivals and the beach boardwalk, Santa Cruz, where I was from. There was this little game that I used to play. It was like this little tabletop with holes all over it, and these little like heads would pop up, and you'd have a mallet. Remember that? Whack-a-mole. Best game ever. Need to get your aggression out? Whack-a-mole. And sometimes it'd be like a little gopher thing. Sometimes it'd be like a happy clown, super scary. But they'd all have, always have these smiles on their faces. And I'd just hit those things, and they'd fall down into the, into the thing. And then another one would pop up, hit it in the head, and it'd go down, hit the other one. And every single time I'd hit them, they would pop up again with a smile on their face. 
And not only did they pop up after I hit them on the head with a smile on their face, but I would sometimes win a prize at the end. Makes no sense in real life. That's love. Whack-a-mole. Now, carnival games are silly. And we might even be able to go so far as to maybe apply this to small irritations and personal conflict and drama. But life gets a lot more dirty than that, doesn't it? What do we do with the command by God to love and all of its descriptions when it's not just irritations, it's not just whack-a-mole scenarios in life, but it's, it's abuse? What if we're in environments where we are actually endangered by the hatred and evil of another person? What about injustice? Now, we're going to speak about this a lot more when we get to that one passage in this section of Scripture that says love does not rejoice at wrongdoing or injustice is another way to put that. So suffice it to say here that love, I want to be clear, Love sometimes means creating boundaries. Love also includes, and we're going to talk about this more, speaking truth to power. Cruel power, unjust power. I've often heard, um, very tragically, people in Christian worlds, maybe even others, being told to stay in environments where they are abused and uh, because that's what forgiveness entails. I couldn't be farther from the truth. Sometimes the most loving thing to do is to remove yourself from that place where you can love that person better. Sometimes love involves boundaries. Sometimes it means speaking up to corrupt powers and abusive powers. Sometimes the most loving thing a person could do is remove themselves from a particular environment. Dan Allender Uh, one particular author on this particular passage writes this, I think is very helpful. He says, love in many cases is a covering over of the offense with long-suffering patience. But even when love covers over the dead remains of a vicious comment, it does not pretend or naively hope that things will be fine once we get through the current unpleasantness and return to a more comfortable status quo. Love may pardon an offense, but it does not ignore the ugliness and arrogance that blights beauty. Covering it over, as we're told love is supposed to do, is not another word for pretending that evil does not exist. We see this exemplified in the life of Jesus. I love uh, one particular passage, John chapter 2, verse 24 through 25. It says that uh, in the face of the crowd's false expectations and pressures on Jesus, he did not go with them where they wanted him to go, for he knew what their hearts were like. And the text actually tells us he did not entrust himself to the crowds. He knew what was in the heart of man. We see Jesus, the most loving person on the face of the planet, putting up healthy boundaries, examining healthy limits, knowing who he is with the Father, and not crumbling under the expectations and pressures of everybody around him. And yet, all of us would have to say, that guy was better at loving people than anybody. The two are not mutually exclusive. And yet, none of that precludes him from being absolutely loving. He ultimately loves people, not only by 
feeding the poor and loving the sick and healing the sick, speaking truths to power, being there for the marginalized and the disenfranchised, ministering and preaching the good news of salvation and of the gospel, and ultimately by giving his life as a sacrifice for the lost and rising three days later, he ultimately, he loves people in the most ultimate manner. His love never runs out. So we'd have to say that Jesus was one of the most forgiving, patient, and kind people ever. Yet he also knew himself, and he knew the crowds. This is the depth of love's patience and kindness. God's love is both radical and redemptive. It's radical in the sense that it calls us to something that we can't possibly conjure up with our own natural faculties. And it's redemptive in that if we allow God to give us love and we operate in that love, it can really change some things around us. I love the story of St. Patrick, who lived in the uh, 4th and 5th century. He was originally from Great Britain, raised a Christian his whole life until he was abducted and sold into slavery, shipped to Ireland for six years as a slave. Talk about a traumatic childhood experience. He eventually escaped from slavery and went back. He would later go on to become an ordained bishop and over time, perhaps by a kindling in his heart, returned to Ireland, the place of his capture, his enslavement. He returned to the homeland of his traffickers to tell them about the love of Jesus Christ. His heart burned for the lost and it burned most of all for the very people that wronged him. He would go on to organize churches and monasteries. Love is radical. It calls us and even enables us to live in a way that we can't possibly live apart from the love of God. It's also redemptive though. History tells us that during a time when populations in Ireland were numerous, scattered all over the land without any fixed territory, Patrick used the institution known as the monastery to make alliances with tribal kings in order to advance the mission of Christ. He unified the land in an unprecedented way and in a way that the gospel of Jesus Christ could expand across the land. Because of that, his mission back to Ireland would mark a huge turning point in the history of missions in the Roman Empire. The darkness got a kidney shot because Patrick allowed God's love to permeate his life. It is both radical and it is redemptive. You may say, that is great for Patrick, but don't they call him a saint for a reason? I'm no saint. You may say, I can never love people like that. That is impossible. I don't even want to try. Of course you can't. We might be able to experience friendships, romantic love, family love, but this is what Paul refers to as agape love, God's kind of love. It is unnatural. It is not something you and I can just steer out of nothing. It is how God loves you and I. I love the passage in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. It says, uh, right after it says that God, who is just, will take care of the evils of the world. He will vindicate himself. He will right every wrong. And then right after that, he, uh, he says, 
But God is not slow. He was answering a question that people were presumably asking. Why doesn't God handle evil right now? Like my stinking neighbor who bumps his music until 12 o'clock at night. Why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about this person who keeps steamrolling me at work? Why doesn't God take care of this? Why doesn't God take care of that? Peter says, God isn't a slowpoke like you think he is. He is patient. Not wanting anybody to perish, but all to come to everlasting life. He is waiting because of love. Because if he were to enact his judgment and wrath right now, how many of us would perish in it? He loves you, therefore he is patient, waiting for you to turn from the life that you're living to the life that he is offering. We see it in the passage, Isaiah 53, 7. Jesus, speaking of Jesus to come, was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was patient. He suffered wrong. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. As a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. And when he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. Listen to this. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. Kindness. God is patient with you, not giving you what you deserve, waiting for you to come to him, that he might lavish you with kindness. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, don't you see how wonderfully kind tolerant and patient God is with people? Does this mean nothing to you? I love the NLT translation of this. Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's not hatred or judgment or condemnation that God uses to motivate the masses. It's his love and his kindness. By waiting and giving people more than what they actually deserve. Only the love of God can melt the hardness of a human person's heart, whether that hardness is impatience, a short temper, or a murderous rage. And only God's kindness can make us kind. And the kindness God gives to us, when we release it, has an incredibly powerful effect. I love this passage in Romans chapter 12. Paul says, let your love be genuine. Then he goes on to say, hey, Never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Notice that God doesn't just look over the wrong things that have happened in the world. He's, he's going to deal with it. All he asks is that you don't deal with it. To us, he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's kind of how I feel right now. I have burning coals on my head. It is so hot in here. It goes on to say, do not, over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That is incredible. In other words, it's almost that the kindness and love of God is such a powerful force against evil in the world and even in our own hearts. Some of you may think that you have to become a pastor or a missionary or a full-time vocational minister in order to really participate in what the Lord is doing in the world. Wrong. What you need is love. What we need is love. 
it's almost as if God has chosen this odd, precarious, almost absurd approach to evil in order to counteract it, overthrow it, and supplant it. That by giving a glass of water to a person that hates you, you might soften their heart and open them up to God. Some of you might be asking, well, how do I, how do we, how do we do this? You know, one of my first, one of my first faulty tendencies when I read a command like this is, okay, I gotta be patient. Monday morning, I'm gonna be more patient. And then something very small and insignificant happens and I lose it. I'm like, well, that was a failure, gonna try again. I do it the whole week, trying to just summon up patience. But patience isn't really something you do. According to Paul, it's something love does. We don't need to try to be more patient. We need love, which will be patient once we have it. You can't just try to be more patient or kind. You must pursue love, Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 14.1. I love this quote by Dallas Willard. He says that as we catch love, I love that, as we catch love, we then find that these things are after all actually being done by us. These things, these gold actions and behaviors are the result of dwelling in a place of love. We have become the kind of person who is patient, kind, free of jealousy, and so on. Jesus does not call us to do what he did so much as he calls us to be as he was permeated with love. Or as the Apostle John would say in his first letter, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Listen to this dynamic interaction between how we love people and how God loves us. He says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed us his love among us. He sent this one and his only son, Jesus, into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Do you see that dynamic relationship? One depends upon the other. You might be able to tolerate somebody with a stiff upper lip. You might be able to deal with somebody's drama but be cursing them under your breath. But if that St. Patrick style love is what you're after, that love that Jesus is speaking about, the one that is described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you need something else. You need more than just religious legalism You need more than just a five-point checklist of how to do better at the Christian life. You need to be powerfully transformed on the inside out by the love of God yourself. You need to drink deeply of the very thing that you're hoping will pour out of your life. And John says it so well. Our life of love in God is what spills out into love for others. In fact, you can tell who knows God by how they love others. The two are inseparably intertwined. So that would mean that we have to go back to some of the things we were talking about in the Messy Church series. That if this is all about 
love, receiving the love of God, we need to slow down and start receiving. We need to make room in our lives to receive the love of God. And as we're doing it, we don't just sit around passively hoping that we'll become patient. We train ourselves by the love of God. I like to uh, take small opportunities uh, to train myself uh, with God's love. I'm, I'm not talking about waiting for like my whole world to fall apart before I start thinking about patience because then I'll, I'll crumble under the weight of it. I like to wait for small, insignificant scenes to come my way. Perhaps someone criticizes me and the love of God can train me, can train us to think, you know, maybe I, w- I was looking for people to get approval and acceptance and that ordinarily would crush me to be criticized by somebody and it actually might crush me now, but God, I just want to receive your love. I want your love to be enough. And then training yourself in that spot. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen to this person's criticism. I love the words of Billy Graham who said, uh, he turns his critics into coaches. I take, I take what people have to say about me, and I, I, I take what's useful, and I discard the rest. That's hard if you've got an ego. How many in here has an ego? Probably just me. Whatever. Not being perfect, but using these opportunities that we might feel, uh, these, these opportunities of adversity as actually learning points to receive God's love, listening and acknowledging, perhaps even thanking a critic for what they're telling you. That's hard, but that is a perfect small opportunity to drink deeply of the love of God. Maybe a disappointment in your life. You can still be honest with a person about what bothered you or hurt you, but maybe stepping out in that moment, an easy small moment, and verbally praising them for what they did right, even though what you really want to do is curse everything that they've done wrong. Maybe even praying for them. There are so many opportunities in life to grow in the love of God in the area of patience and kindness. But remember, you can train all your life And it'll be a lost cause unless you're first receiving the love of Christ, being shaped by it yourself. This is an immersion into the love of God, where Christ is in all, as Colossians 3 tells us. No wonder Patrick could love his enslavers. Listen to this prayer by him. Christ with me, Christ before me, Christ behind me. Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right and Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down. Christ and Christ's love permeating Patrick's entire life. That's what we need. I'm going to ask Betsy to come up, lead us in a time of worship. And as a part of our worship, I want you to ask yourself three questions. Coming out of that season that we were in where we were really just wanting to be honest with our own hearts and not put up a front, let's continue to be honest as an act of worship to God. And start with this. Ask, ask this question of yourself. When was the last time you were impatient or unkind with somebody? 
This is not like a guilt trip, not something to beat yourself over the head. God doesn't beat you over the head, so you don't have to either. But face it, when was the last time you were impatient or unkind? Second question after you, you've thought about that is and taking the idea that we must, that how we treat other people has to come out of an overflow of our own hearts. What might that act of impatience or unkindness reveal about our hearts? This has been very difficult for me this week because I have been very impatient. Spending a lot of time studying about patience and finding myself failing at it at every corner. With family, with work, with strangers, just finding myself just being impatient and sometimes unkind. And I used to think that my impatience was a symptom of how other people were failing me. And I'm starting to realize that my impatience is really a symptom of what's going on inside me, not what's going on inside you. Hypothetically speaking, it's not actually you. Think about that time and ask yourself just very honestly, what is God trying to reveal about the condition of my heart? Why am I impatient? Why am I so unkind? And then third, after that, what does being filled by God's love look like for me right now? What do I need from him? And then receive from a God who has been and still is very patient and kind to you. Heavenly Father, visit us in this time as we reflect on your imperishable and unfailing, wonderful, extravagant love. Pray for those of us who desperately need it right now that our hearts would be open to receive it and that our cup this morning would overflow. In Jesus' name, amen.